Did you like that? Wasn't that cute? Hey, when do you get to retire from being a parent? Yeah, kids, Chloe, Kylie, Caleb, and Colin, you are stuck with mom and dad for a long time. There is no expiration date. And the question is, why do we, why do, we do it? Why do we do it? It's, a, it's really a, a, pretty, a pretty simple answer. You do it so that when you launch them, you kick them out of the nest, launch them, that they have the opportunity to maybe do just a little bit better than you did. And I think in that light, w- even though this morning we're talking about King David, I think there's a lot of things related to his life that we can identify with, especially on a day when we celebrate parenthood, specifically motherhood today. You see, David... There's something about getting older that maybe makes you just a little bit wiser. The older you get, the more you recognize God's blessings in your life. I think when you're young, you're too ADD to realize it. You know, your brain's working too fast. There's always something new, something new. New job, new degree, new certification, new this, new that, new house, new car. But you don't stop to smell the roses and think about how God was good. David is older, and he, he recognizes all of the many ways that God has blessed him. And, and he wants to do something. He recognizes an impropriety that he lives in a palace and that God dwells in a tent. And he wants to build a house for God. And God says two things. Number one, I didn't ask you to do it. Number two, you're not the one to do it. You're, you're a man who has blood on your hands. You have needed to rid the land of its pagan pollution. But your son will do it. And when God kind of passes the buck from David to Solomon when it comes to building the temple, you would think... If someone passed the buck on you, you kind of wash your hands, you're, you're all done. No, 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 no. When, when God passed the buck from David to Solomon, David got to work. Because he knew that if Solomon was going to build it, he wanted to clear the land, and he wanted to buy the lumber, and he wanted to have all the construction ready on the site so that when Solomon became king, he could hit the ground running. Solomon made all, or David made all kinds of preparations for Solomon so that Solomon could be successful. Isn't that what parenting is about? You may not have the riches of King David or the, 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 the sweet psalmist of Israel, his wisdom and the intimacy that he has in his relationship with God, but every parent tries to give out of the resources that they have to encourage their children, to make things easier for them. And so today we're going to look at David's last words, continuing in our series. And really just two, two main points, one definitely more challenging than the others. Um, one that sounds a whole lot more like a Father's Day sermon than a Mother's Day sermon. But hang in there. Let me assure you that there is, there's, there's truth hidden in these verses that are good for us. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. We're going to deal with the hard part first. And then we'll go on to the easy part. We're going to deal with verses 5 through 9. And the question that we're going to ask ourselves is, is there anything redemptive that we can learn from David's greatest hits? David's greatest hits. We know that David was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, and that is not what I'm referring to at all. I'm not talking about which, which song of David's topped the charts the most. No, I'm talking about David's final instructions to his son, where he says, yeah, you know Joab and Shimei? First act is king, you need to kill him. We're talking about his hit list. This sounds like something straight out of the Godfather. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Make some people disappear. You know, he's going to take care of stuff. And this is a challenge for us to think through how is this recorded as righteous or as good. So we'll begin in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 5-9. through 9. The scripture starts off with moreover. So you, you can tell it's in the middle of a, a, a longer argument. Moreover, 
you also know what Joab, the son of Uriah, did to me. How he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jather, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Verse 7, deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at the king's table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. There is also, verse 8, with you, Shimei, the, uh, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahiram, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went from, to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, you do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. And all of God's people said, what in the world? It does. It sounds like something out of the, out of the Godfather. Get Joab and Shimei. It seems unethical. And we have to give a little bit of the background before any of this begins to make sense. Some of y'all are going to go, what in the world is he doing on Mother's Day? Talking about murdering people. Not murder, it's justice. Number one, Joab. Joab was David's chief general. So he was a man's man. He was a brilliant military strategist. Um, you'll remember that right when Saul died, David was installed as the king of Judah. Now, there are 12 tribes of Israel uh, Israel was divided into a northern and a southern section. Judah symbolized all of the southern tribes, and Israel symbolized all of the northern tribes. So even though we're only talking about Israel and Judah, we're talking about all of Israel when we say that. All of Judah goes with David when he's anointed after Saul dies. Israel rebels. Abner is the leader of the remnant that is faithful to Saul, who's dead, but Abner is the lead general. Well, here's what happens. There's warfare that happens when David becomes the, fir- the, becomes the, the king after Saul. And through um, David's wisdom and his, um, his leadership, he gets Abner to defect from leading the armies of Israel to join him on Judah's side. Okay? So, opposites. Take your pick. Um, it'd be like Hillary joining Team Trump. And y'all going to giggle as soon as I say that. You know, it's a liberal becoming a conservative. It's a Democrat becoming a Republican. Whatever division you have, David has won by not having to kill him. He's gotten him to defect and join his team. Like, this is, this is incredible. This is what you want. Don't you, wouldn't you rather have an enemy that becomes an, a, a, a really true legitimate ally instead of just unnecessary bloodletting? And of course, with Abner being a man of influence coming over, he brings all of that influence with him and people with him. And so here's the problem. Joab was a brilliant military strategist, but he was very, he was very self-motivated. So when, when Abner defects, Joab's not going, David is such a wonderful king, look what he was able to do. He sits there and goes, what does this mean for me in that promotion that I want? Like, Abner's my equivalent, and now he's on the team, so now there's two of us. If there's a promotion to be had, who's going to be number one? Is it going to be me, Joab? It's going to be Abner. Number two, he feels like David, even though he is the Lord's anointed, 
is a little dumb, maybe a little naive. Oh, you're going to just let Abner walk on in? You, you fool. Do you know what Joab does? David called Abner to a, a peace treaty meeting. They meet. They go their separate ways. Joab shows up, found, finds out Abner was there, sends a delegation implying that David is calling him back into town. And when he comes, he meets him and he kills him. Now, the background to that story is that when they were at war, not at peace, when they were at war, Abner, who's a, a, a mighty warrior, kills Joab's younger brother in battle. Joab never forgave him. And that's why the Bible says he brought a wartime, a battlefield issue into peace. And he shed blood in peace that was a grudge held for more. You, you don't do that. You know, we talk about what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens on the battlefield has to stay on the battlefield or you will never not have a battlefield. And if you're going to get someone back because, oh, well, you got one of my guys, and I'm going to get you guys, that's the Lex Tialano. It's the law, law of, ta- of uh, claw and tooth. It's just not good. So Joab was not a spiritual guy. He was a great military leader. The only flash of spiritual insight that he had, there was a, there was a, a point where David wanted to take a census of all the fighting men to see how big his army was. And God said, no, don't, David, don't do it. Don't do it. You need to trust in my strength, not yours. And the only reason you want to know how many men are of conscriptable age is you want to know how mighty your army is. Don't do it. And Joab opposed David when he did it. David did it anyways. 70,000 men died as a result of the plague. The only glimmer of spiritual insight that Job had, Job had a, uh, Joab had a tendency to make people disappear. He did it with Abner. Later, with Amasa, who was another uh, general of the army of Israel. David is getting him to join his team. And Joab, looking out for number one, finds a way to make sure that Amasa is not a threat to his political ambitions. So David tells his son Solomon, when you become king, you need to deal with Joab. Joab had supported Absalom in his rebellion. David knows that it's important for justice to happen so that the blood, the implication of blood guiltiness to the throne it looked like David was involved and he was completely innocent. In the throne, the leadership needed to find a way to say, we had nothing to do with this. Not only is he dangerous, Solomon, he's a threat to you because he supported Absalom. Shimei, who in the world is Shimei? Years later, David is uh, well-established as king. His son Absalom uh, shacks up with one of his concubines and makes a claim to the throne. Absalom is, uh, he's, hand, he's tall, dark, and handsome. So immediately, people are so shallow, you follow tall, dark, and handsome. It just, it's what happens. So a significant portion of the kingdom rebels against David. David has to flee for his life. So he's wa- winding his way through one of these wadis, one of these canyons, getting away from Jerusalem. And Shimei, who is one of the descendants of Saul, who Saul died on a battlefield, Shimei held David personally responsible for Saul's death. Now, if you know anything about, about the Bible, the Bible says that God rejected Saul because Saul didn't obey God. Anointed David in, in his place. David had nothing to do with Saul's death. And Shimei was so, uh, what's that statement? Blood is thicker than water. Shimei was so um, adamant about defending his family that he was more committed to Saul, even in his death, than he was to God's sovereign choosing of a new leader. So he mercilessly, it says, uh, David says, he cursed me grievously. Like, I've, I, don't, I don't know 
Like, when do you cross from just being cursed to being grievously cursed? I don't ever want to find that out. But it had to be bad. He didn't just say he cursed me. He cursed me grievously. And here's the challenge. When you're dealing with the Lord's anointed, the person who God has chosen, for you to say something bad about him, you might as well just cut the middle person out and say it straight to God. To say that about the Lord's anointed is to say that to God himself. And here's, here's a great contrast. Um, you have Joab and Shimei who, he says, justice needs to happen to them. And I, I think, I think David in his wisdom, because David could have taken care of Joab and Shimei at will over the 30 or 40 years that he reigned. He could have taken them out at any time. He's king after all. But I think to show that it was not an issue of personal vengeance, that it was an issue of justice and doing it for the benefit of the kingdom, he held off and allowed Solomon to deal with it. Here's the challenge when it comes to leadership. Leadership is important, and everybody wants leadership until you actually lead. Then the critics come out. That becomes a challenge. But there was, a, there was an original position of leadership that was given to Adam to be provider and protector of his wife. Well, here's what happens to Adam. Genesis chapter 3, a snake shows up. Now, you don't need to do a whole lot of math to figure this out. Men, what happens if a snake shows up and your wife is around? You have a moral obligation to chop it into bite-sized pieces. You know, I mean, chop it up. Gr- grind it like espresso. Get that thing gone. It, it needs to be gone. Well, here's the challenge. It's not just a snake. It's a talking snake. And Adam allows his wife to have a conversation with it. Like, I don't ever have to worry about that. My wife is not going to speak to a slithering at least not that serpent, you know. Um, we all listen to the other serpent, unfortunately. David had a responsibility to protect from, uh, what do we say um, for our military, from enemies foreign and domestic? Well, Solomon and David have this same responsibility. Sometimes it's very clear who our enemies are foreign in, in, in a foreign aspect, but sometimes our enemies internally are more of a challenge. And so we have to use our authority to protect And David says, Solomon, if you're going to be a wise king, here are people that need to come to justice. And I didn't do it because I didn't want to look like it was an issue of personal motivation, personal vengeance, but it needs to be an act of justice. The great contrast is he says, Joab and Shimei, I need you to take care of him. But Barzillai and his sons, I need you to be generous to them. Barzillai came into David's life the same time Shimei did. While Shimei is in the process of standing up on a cliff throwing dust and rocks and curses down at David, you know, insulting his mother and his birth and his rulership and everything about his character. Barzillai shows up at the end of that canyon uh, as a man of resource with cots and bread and water. And out of his resources, he richly resourced David, who was fleeing as a fugitive from a son that was trying to usurp the throne. What I love about the story of Barzillai in 2 Samuel 17 through 19 is that he's, he's fairly rich. I mean, he's not the king. David is immeasurably richer than Barzillai is. But as a result, when David is restored to power, he calls Barzillai to him and says, because you have been so kind to me, I want to be kind to you. You have the opportunity to dine at my table. That's a big deal if you're the king. And he goes, hey, listen, I'm old, and I really don't taste food all that well again, so why should you waste your finest food on my halfway dead taste buds? He says, you can, you can keep your food to yourself. Thank you very much for the offer. But it would really be a wasted opportunity on me. Here the king tries to repay him, and he says, who am I that you would bestow this honor upon me? And because he was so humble and so generous, 
David issued a command to Solomon that someone from Barzillai's family would always dine at the king's table whenever they ate, passing on a blessing from generation to generation. And so there's a couple things that we learn here. Number one, being obedient to what God has called us to do sometimes calls us to do hard things. Here, David has to tell his son Solomon, hey, congratulations, you're king. You know what your first act needs to be? You need to execute justice. How would you like to be the person to make that call? Now, truth is, you're supposed to execute justice too. Uh, while Jesus is the one who will definitively cut off the snake's head, we're supposed to be sta- snake stompers too. We're supposed to guard our families from sin and from evil and from lesser things and from idolatry, from paganism, from secularism, from materialism, from worshiping things that are not God. Sometimes obedience demands that we do hard things. And my fear is that with our generation, hard things are undone things. Like, just give me the remote control. Hard thing or, uh, you know, um, The Bachelor. I'll take The Bachelor. Hard things or American Idol. I'll take American Idol. Hard things or um, fighting for your marriage. Well, I'll choose whatever's easier. Sometimes obedience calls for hard things. There's justice to be executed upon some. There's generosity to be shown to others. And what is the difference between Joab, Shimei, and Barzillai? It's really pretty simple when you stop to think about it. It is how they treated the Lord's anointed. How they treated the Lord's anointed. You see, Joab, one, one of the, the, the biggest things that happened with Joab, when Absalom rebelled, David loved Absalom. Absalom was a jerk. But, but he loved him because he was his son. And even though he was aspiring to take David's place, David wanted him to be dealt with gently, which meant don't kill him. You know, Joab uh, takes upon uh, as his own responsibility driving the spear through Absalom's heart when they catch him. E- evidently, a- Absalom had, had quite a quaff. says he's riding a donkey and his hair gets caught in a branch. They find him hanging from a tree. And it gets reported to Job. Job goes, well, you know what? Well, this kid, this, this troublesome kid of David's isn't going to be any trouble anymore. And the soldiers go, wait, 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 Joab. David said, deal gently with him. He goes, David's a fool. Disregards the command of the Lord's anointed. What does Shimei do? Shimei disrespects the Lord's anointed. We've said to say this about God's chosen man is to say this to God himself. What's Barzillai do? Barzillai provides for him in his moment of need. The difference between whether you receive kindness or judgment is completely and totally just predicated upon how you deal with the Lord's anointed. So the same thing is true for us. Our attitude, our actions to the Lord's anointed king are so important. What do we learn from David's greatest hits? Respecting the Lord is important and that sometimes we have to do hard things. When we move on to the rest of chapter 2, we look at verses 1 through 4. We ask the question, can you see the connection between obedience and blessing? Listen to what verses 1 through 4 say. When David's time to, d- to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, 
If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness, with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. We're moving from uh, advice that David is giving, from the the hard advice, verses 5 through 9, kind of political expedience. How do you establish your rule in justice and in righteousness? To here, an issue of personal faithfulness. He's encouraging Solomon to walk in the Lord's ways. These are not idle last words. They are a lifetime of experience. You don't don't see this everywhere, but in Proverbs chapter 4, I don't think it's on the screen, so I'll read it for you here. Proverbs chapter 4. Oh, where are we at? Verses 3 through 9. Uh, Solomon wrote the Proverbs. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear this father and son session that, that Solomon is recounting. Verse 3. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, my father taught me and he said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Don't forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. When he talks about wisdom, he's talking about God. He's talking about Christ. And what we see is that uh, David didn't just provide financially and physically for Solomon to be successful. He gave careful, spiritual instruction to his son. First Chronicles details all of the ways in which um, David greased the wheel for Solomon's construction projects to ask, but he did all kinds of things beyond the financial to prepare Solomon to be a good and wise ruler. And it raises the question, what is the most significant thing that you can give to the next generation? David had a whole plethora of options in front of him. A healthy kingdom, established borders, um, a big bankroll. I mean, the Bible says the wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. If you're only thinking about one generation, you're not thinking far enough. The Bible says you're supposed to leave enough for your grandkids, not just for your kids. That's a crazy thing. But if you're... If the thing that you leave for your kids is purely financial, they can spend it in a day. He's talking about making a spiritual investment, spiritual deposits, so that when life shakes them up, they have something to withdraw out of their account. And my fear is that young people today treat religion like an accessory. Sometimes I'll wear the earrings and sometimes I won't. And then what happens when life shakes them, they have zero dollars in their bank account to withdraw. They've not learned how to appropriate it for themselves. It's mom and dad's religion. It's not really mine. The question you have to deal with is, is Jesus really who he claimed to be? David says to Solomon, get wisdom, get Christ. Hold on to him, and he will take care of you forever. David thought the most important thing that he could pass on to Solomon was a love for God and a love for his word. In verses 1 through 4, we just read this. I love the way he gives advice. Did you see the advice that he gave? Like, this is awesome. And, and it is, uh, it's, it's a little manly, but I think every mom in the room can appreciate what he says. He gives four things. He says, be strong. <laughs> Flex it up. Be strong. Be a man. Whatever that means. But it becomes a little bit more clear. He says, be strong. Be a man. Be obedient. And what happens if you be strong, be a man, be obedient, and you do that 
in the right order, you will be blessed. The Lord will establish you. So here's what I love, is it takes the language of what we would call warriorship or strength, and it applies it to our obedience to the Lord. Moms, do you like that definition of manhood? Not someone who, you know, bare-chested, you know, beats, you know, king, he's the King Kong of your house. He's the knuckle-dragging Neanderthal of your home. But he's a man that uses his strength to obey the Lord. As a matter of fact, the way that he says it, he says, be strong, be a man, obey the Lord's commands and testimonies. His implication is, you're not a man if you don't obey. I tell you what, that is a message that needs to be heard. You might be 18 years old, you might be eligible to draft, you might be able to do whatever, but you're not a man if you don't serve the Lord. You're a boy in man's clothes with big shoes. But if you don't obey, that is not God's will for you. So he lays it down. He gives some great advice. And he says, you know what? You want to be strong? Be strong in the Lord. Because you think obeying God is an easy thing? It's not. You know who you got to fight every single day? I mean, like the world, the flesh, and the devil would be enough, but you got to fight yourself. You will sell yourself out in your obedience to the Lord every day. You've got to fight yourself. You've got to fight the old man. It requires strength. Not only does Solomon have to obey himself, which we know historically he doesn't do. He loses the battle. He becomes a, a profligate. He allows his foreign wives to turn his hearts to foreign gods. But it requires strength to obey yourself. It requires strength to get your entire nation to obey. I wish, I wish that I could write one sermon that would fix everybody's sanctification. Like every single one of you walked in here with something that you don't know, that you, everybody in here walked in here with something that you don't want the people on your pew to know about you. I wish that I could write one sermon that fixed your marriage, that fixed your, your dirty mind, that fixed your dirty mouth, that fixed the jokes that you laugh at, that fixed the way that you demean others, that fixed your lack of humility, that fixed whatever it is, your love of money. Whatever it is that you don't love God, I wish I could write the sermon that would fix that. But it, would, it wouldn't do any good because you would not work for it. The Bible says it takes strength not only to obey yourself, it takes strength to encourage others to obey. And the way we find that strength in verses 1 through 4, there are seven different ways that David talks about God's word. He calls it his, uh, his commands, his statutes, his rules, his testimonies, his law, his way, his word. He's just infatuated with God's word and says, if you're going to be a man, if you're going to be strong, if you're going to be blessed, you're going to do this by being obedient to the word. Use your strength for obeying. And when you use your strength for obeying, you'll recognize his blessing. Now, we know for Solomon that that blessing, and I, and I hate that I even need to issue this concession. For Solomon, that blessing was material. I mean, there were tribute nations that contributed all kinds of wealth to Solomon and to his kingdom. Solomon was uh, crazy wealthy. I don't want to draw a correlation from obeying to, to wealth because there are false teachers and false prophets, and you probably have some of their books in your home. I, I need to issue that warning. Who believe in this thing called the health and wealth gospel that is not a gospel at all. It is a religion of self that teaches that God is more concerned about my money than I, God wants me to have money. God is as interested in self as I am, which is really a way to worship yourself. Burn the books, 
don't give them to somebody. They don't need to read them. Get rid of them. They are, they are dangerous. They are sub-Christian. But they have enough Bible verses in them that, that people are gullible enough to take them. Don't do it. It's terrible. And so I do not for a second want to promise that if you obey, you will be, you'll be blessed with a BMW or a houseboat or a vacation home. That, that it, the Bible doesn't promise that. The Bible actually promises persecution, tribulation, and if they hated me, they will hate you. That's the promise that I will make for you. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the only promise that I can make. But I can promise that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and his staff, they will comfort you. He will be with you. The blessing comes from the obedience itself, not from material things that you may or may not get. Now, frequently, there is some kind of this worldly blessing that comes, a relationship that's restored. You, 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 today, you sit there and go, man, I hate Mother's Day. I haven't talked to my mom in 15 years. And today, you make the decision to call mom and say, hey, happy Mother's Day. You wave the white flag, and now you get together for lunch next week, and now you have a normal relationship. The, the blessing and obedience is a restored relationship. The, the blessing of obedience is consistent fellowship with God. If you have experienced God's nearness, and now God seems a million miles away, uh, the, the question is, who moved? It's not the Lord. It's your own disobedience. It's your own weak love. Um, if you're able to put your head on your death pillow with a clear conscience, that's a blessing. To not have regrets because you've sought to live for the Lord consistently. The Bible promises that obedience itself is the blessing. And when we obey, we are blessed. Fellowship with God and fellowship with others. David is trying to impress upon Solomon that as the king, as the ruler, as the leader, he, as an individual, has a special obligation for faithfulness. But when he is blessed, that blessing doesn't come just to him. It comes to everybody that he leads. And the entire nation of Israel was blessed because of Solomon's early and youthful zealousness for the Lord. God will do it. If you uh, seek to live in a way that is pleasing to God, you will be prosperous. And that might be a spiritual prosperity. It might be a physical prosperity. But you will prosper. Verses 10 through 12 is the tombstone, basically, for David. And I love the way that it concludes, because David died. It's sad. But you hear something that has been passed on to Solomon that is precious. It says this, verse 10, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Verse 12, So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. That means his kingdom was not a circle that Peter tottered. It was a square with a solid base. It was established. It was solid. It was immovable. And I ask you the question, where did we see this word established before? Go back to verse 3. David is admonishing him, saying, Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it's written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Verse 4, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning you. Verse 12 says, David dies, 
Solomon sits on the throne of his father, and his kingdom was established. This is not an issue of political shrewdery. It's not just shrewd. It's not just that he's wise. He's not an organizational expert. His kingdom is established because he followed his father's advice. And by being obedient to the Lord's word, his kingdom was established. Solomon understood what it meant to be a man in the best sense of the word. See, that's what's terrible. Moms, you have a, a, a role to play for good in this. Is we've allowed somebody saying, well, he's just a man, to become a derogatory term. And the Bible says that should be one of the biggest compliments that we can give someone. He's a man because he obeys God. And that's exactly what Solomon did in his kingdom was established. It's a great thing. David did everything he could spiritually, politically, physically to make Solomon a wise ruler. And as the chapter closes on David's life and opens on Solomon, Solomon proves to be that son that every mother and every father could be proud of. Following God down to the minutiae. Following God not only for his own personal relationship with God, but for blessings upon all of God's people. And yet, when we talk about leadership, don't we have to smirk just a little bit? We talk about presidential politics. Now listen, I don't, don't you all start throwing stuff. We start talking about leadership on a national level, and whether it's this president or any of the last 30, it's easy to throw rocks, and it's easy for us to be cynical about leaders. They all seem to be self-motivated. They all seem to have some skin in the game, that isn't quite right, doesn't seem to be good for our benefit, more for his accolade. Even with the best of leaders, the best word that comes to mind is cynical. And we all pay the consequence for that. We all pay the consequence for that, for being cynical, for not being trusting, for lacking love. Yet we look at this episode and we see uh, some really hard things. David has to tell Solomon, hey, I need you to follow me, God, in all things. And part of that following him is doing the hard thing of executing capital punishment, of bringing to justice two men that have uh, blasphemed God by blaspheming David. David had to issue this terrible word related to the death of some of his subjects. And I am grateful this morning that we don't worship King David. He's a man after God's own heart. But the king that we worship this morning doesn't issue capital punishment. He bears capital punishment. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says that he dies so that those who believe in him never have to taste of death. Listen to this. Jesus said to her, being Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, there are some things that were glorious about David's reign in the reign of Solomon, but neither one of them were faithful in all things. Solomon is actually the fruit of David's illicit union with Bathsheba, who David had his friend murdered so that he could have his wife. That's why part of Solomon's early reign was questioned and why Absalom and Adonijah tried to take the throne instead because their birth was more legitimate than Solomon's. Solomon himself allowed his heart to be wooed by foreign gods. They were not faithful in all things, and yet Christ never opened his mouth in his own defense. It says, as a sheep is silent before his shearers, 
kept his mouth shut, even though he knew he was dying, not just innocent, but sinless. David's reign, it passed on to Solomon, was glorious in its reign, but it was temporary. And Christ's reign is gloriously eternal. David and Solomon uh, brought blessing and brought fortune, but I don't know that we're ever going to find Solomon's gold. But the blessings that Christ gives are available for all through faith. And so this morning, I'm glad that we don't worship a king like David who takes life, but a king like Jesus who gives life. My question for you this morning, no matter what kind of mother you may find yourself to be, whether you're an expectant mother or an adoptive mother or a foster mother or a shared custody mother or were a mother or you're a father that fits into one of those categories or one day you'll grow up to be one of those things. Don't you want to be the kind of follower of Christ, the kind of disciple that gives life? Not the kind that takes life. Not the kind that sucks life out of people, but the one who, because of union with God's eternal and life-giving spirit, likewise, finds a way to give life to those around you. Let's pray with me, please. Father, we are so grateful this morning that you have given us life. You have uh, made known to us the pathway of life. You have given us the opportunity to see Christ in all of his beauty, beauty and glory trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins and yet father there are some of us today who still play with our sins they are our pet they are our favorite i pray today that you would just remove the blinders from our eyes to see the inheritance that we will get from chasing and pursuing sin help us to see the immeasurable blessings and glory of following you father i pray that you make your son so all-consumingly glorious that we cannot help but fall on our knees before you and ask for you to forgive us of our sins. Father, there are those of us who have trusted in you for a long time, and yet there are ways in which our discipleship is deficient because we're not giving life to anyone. I pray that you convict us of ways in which we are not mindful of our obligations to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Ways in which we've allowed people who are out of fellowship with God to be just fine in fellowship with us. We've not practiced accountability. We've not done the hard things that you've called us to. We've not sought to obey in any way that has cost us anything. Father, we acknowledge that there are tremendous blessings and pleasures that you have for us. But they only come to those that obey. I pray today that you will break our hearts for our own disobedience. And that... We won't make ourselves better, but that you will allow your spirit to work powerfully within us so that both our action and our motivation is something that is glorifying to you. Father, help us to desire you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.